again, everyone. Happy Easter to you. It is so good to see you here today. And um, if you're a guest with us again, uh, welcome. For those of you joining us online, we're glad you have joined us. We've been singing about this resurrection. In a few moments, we're going to have some people that uh, are going to come and get baptized and say that they believe in the resurrection. And uh, right now, we're going to preach the resurrection. And can I just say as a pastor, I always love to preach on Easter Sunday. So um, it's great, again, to have you with us. If you have a Bible or device, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, what is known as the resurrection chapter. And 2,000 years ago, there was someone called Paul, and uh, he writes to some uh, people in the town or the city of Corinth. It was in today's uh, Greece and uh, he is writing to them and saying, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. 25 years or so had passed since the death and resurrection of Jesus. There were many in the church that were like, we're not sure we believe we weren't there. And Paul is going to tell them and write to them and say, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historical fact. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to our faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is unique. Uh, let's pause for a moment there and remind ourselves that every world religion, every world leader um, is dead. And in fact, the other world religions, none of them claim uh, that their founder uh, rose from the dead or would rise from the dead. Uh, Confucius is dead. Uh, Gautama, uh, Buddha, or Gautama Buddha is dead. Mohammed is dead. Gandhi is dead. Jesus Christ died and rose again the third day. Jesus is alive. This is unique to the Christian faith. And then Paul writes to them and says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything in your life. And uh, today, um, on this resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, I know for me in years past, I would be all about the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus and his resurrection. And so, you know, in, in times past, I'd be like, listen, have you, have you looked at the case for the resurrection? And have you looked at the case against the resurrection? Have you thought it through? Do you realize there's many, many smart people, I'm not referring to myself, but someone else, many, many smart people who, it's a compelling case. It, it, it seems to suggest he rose from the dead, that he really is alive. I used to preach the truth of the resurrection and the good news. Now as I get older, and I am getting older, some of you think I'm youthful looking, but I got to be honest with you, I use a hair, little hair color now, you know. Um, <laughs> but as I get older, I want to preach the beauty of the good news. I want to preach the beauty of the one who died on a cross for us, rose again the third day for us, and is coming again for us. Because the more you see him, who he is, and what he's done, and what he's promised to do, the more you fall on your knees and worship, you're captivated by him. You live your life for him. If you're here and not yet a follower of Jesus, you're living your small story, just like we all are. We're all living our small little story. We're going to live three score and ten years, a little more, a little less. And then, is that it? Is that all there is to your life? Hear today the good news that there's a bigger story going on. It's a story about Jesus. Hear today that there's a true story, and hear today that there's a better story, that this Jesus who died on a cross and rose again the third day, he wants to come into your life, forgive you of all their sins, so that you get to go through life 
with no guilt and no shame. He wants to go through life with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He wants to be your strength because in this fallen world, you're going to fall down. You need strength. He wants to be your peace because in this fallen world, there's going to be things that you don't understand. There's going to be things that happen to you that you don't understand. In this world, he wants to be your joy because in this world, uh, you're missing a lot of things, fear of missing out. You should be doing this and this. But he wants to be your greatest joy, your greatest treasure. And in this world, because it's so broken, at times it can seem so hopeless, and we wonder, and you wonder, is there any hope? He wants to be your hope. Not just your hope, as Peter would say, who saw the risen Christ, your living hope. Any other hope that we have apart from Jesus Christ collapses at the grave. Death wins. If you're here without Jesus, you have no hope. With Jesus is the only hope. He's the living hope. And may God speak to all of us today as we talk and go through his words. So what Paul is going to do here, he's writing to these people. Many, they didn't see Jesus. Does he, did he really rise from dead? He's going to first, if you have subtitles in your Bible, first he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. It's real. It's historical. Then he's going to talk about the resurrection of the dead, our resurrection. And then he's going to talk about our resurrection bodies. That we, as followers of Jesus, we are getting a new body on a day in the future. And, uh, and that begs the questions like, what's that body going to look like? How old are we going to be in heaven with these bodies? Will Maple Leaf fans be wearing Leaf jerseys throughout eternity? Right? Next year, we've got a billion years to win. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I see a couple of Leaf fans are kind of... Okay. Yeah, we, God of miracles. Okay, let's go. First Corinthians 15 and beginning in verse 1. Paul's talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. I want to remind you, don't forget this. I know the whole world doesn't believe it. They're going their own way. But I want to remind you of the gospel. What's the gospel? It's good news. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, please understand that Christianity is not about ideas. It's not about what you do or what you don't do. It's about a person. His name is Jesus and Jesus who rose from the dead. This is news. It's good news. Paul, I want to tell you, I want to remind you about Jesus dying and being raised from the dead. And then he goes on in verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. I didn't make this up. In fact, he'll tell us elsewhere that nobody made this up. God revealed it to us in his infinite grace. He revealed this to us, and this is the of first importance. This is the most important thing you will hear in life, all of us. This is the most important thing. And he defines the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The good news is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, doing all of that for us, dying for our sins, because the wages of sin is death. We're all going to die. And Paul reminds them, he reminds us that it was according to the scriptures. What are the scriptures he's referring to? In your Bibles, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, before Jesus and after Jesus. He's referring to the Old Testament. He's saying this all happened according to God's eternal plan. In the upper story, before God created the world, it was his plan. He would send his son into the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And then after man sinned, God said, I'm going to send the Messiah. So in our Old Testament, we have over 100 prophecies about the Messiah, where he would be born, how he'd live, how he'd die, and how he would be raised again the third day. In particular, Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus died on a cross, David talked about it. In Isaiah 53, 700 years uh, before Jesus died on a cross, 200 years before crucifixion was even invented and practiced, Isaiah talked about his death and his resurrection. So Paul says, this is not made up, it's the plan of God, and I'm sharing this good news with you. And then if you look at uh, the, the book of Acts, after um, this, Paul and all of the followers seeing the risen Christ would preach the message about the death and resurrection of Jesus. They weren't going around preaching, hey, join the Christian religion, and we've got all of these ideas for you, and this will make you a better person, and they were preaching moral behaviors. They weren't preaching politics, hey, you need to, we need to take over, or preaching issues, hey, you need to believe all of those things. All of those things come out of the gospel, but the most important thing is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, after reminding them it, re it really is real. He calls witnesses to the stand. He's like, like a lawyer in court. Let's look at the evidence. And he calls them one by one. Verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. He says, I'm reminding you of the good news. If you don't believe it, go and ask Peter. Go and ask James. Go and ask. There's over 500 of them. Now, some have, notice he says, fallen asleep. Why doesn't Paul say that some have died? Because in that day, in our day, the word die or death has a finality about it. But friends, death is not the end. Paul simply says, they've fallen asleep. If you've lost a loved one in the Lord and, and someone says to you, you know, what happened to your spouse or what's up with your spouse or you lost your parents, you know what happened? Oh, they're just having a little nap. They're falling asleep. That's more biblically sound. Death is not the end. Some are still alive. Go talk to them. But some have fallen asleep. Go talk to James. Who's James? The brother of Jesus, right? In history, we know he did not follow Jesus during his earthly ministry, but after he became a leader in the church of Jerusalem and was martyred. This is real history. Go talk to him. Go talk to Peter, real person. He says, you can talk to me. Paul says, refers to himself as abnormally born. What is he talking about? He's saying, at the beginning with the 12 disciples and all that, I wasn't there. God in his grace, he even appeared to me. My wife was telling me last night on a little walk, she said, um, do you know who became a Christian? And she told me about this Canadian um, um, actor and comedian and all that. And I'm like, no way. No, not him. Like, I've heard things he said, and, and again, I said in the first service, that guy's a kook, okay? And there's no way, not that guy, okay? And I can be a kook at times too. So, but there's no way. In Paul's day, Paul got saved. Are you kidding me? People, they feared because Paul was hostile to the faith. He was a man on the up and up. He was arresting Christians. And 25 years later, he's still saying, oh, he appeared to me also. He appeared to me. Paul says the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
is real. And here's two things that, that are historical fact. One is that there was a real person called Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross under the reign of Pontius Pilate in the first century. So if you ever talking to someone and they say, oh, I'm not sure Jesus existed, we know he existed. Second fact we know is that his first followers were radically changed. What brought about the change? That's open to discussion. We say it's the resurrection, but those first followers would all go to their death. So they were radically changed. Paul says it's true, it's real. Then he then talks about our resurrection because Paul knows Jesus said that on the last day that he would rise, raise us up as well. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, though they are dead, yet shall they live. So Paul says, because he lives, we too will live. But again, in, in the church at Corinth, some were struggling to believe. He says this in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can you say that? And then Paul will make his case. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if death is the end, he says our preaching is empty and useless. Our faith is empty and useless, and our work, all we're doing is empty and useless, and he, he does the math, and he says, we're to be the most pity, pitied of men. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, and he didn't rise from the dead, and you're serving in his name, you're going to church on Sundays, you're worshiping uh, uh, Jesus, and he didn't rise from the dead, you people ought to look at you and say, I feel sorry for you believing in that fairy tale. Like, man, what a wasted life. Paul will go on and say, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, eat and drink, for tomorrow you die. In Paul's day, there was Epicurean philosophy. It had been around for 300 years, Epicurus, 300 years before Paul. His philosophy of life was that you're all, we're all going to die, so we might as well enjoy life and its pleasures, but just in moderation. So we're all going to die, so just go and enjoy life, but just in moderation. Paul counters that, and he says, if we're all going to die, don't do it in moderation. Go out and just do what you want to do. 2,000 years later, is that not the same narrative that we hear? Just the here and now. Find yourself do whatever it is that makes you happy. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks or anything else thinks. Just do what you want to do. That's the same thing. But it makes sense. If this life is all there is, then just do that. Now, just do that. But Paul says, no, Christ indeed has been risen from the dead. Paul says, we too will be raised. So he talks about the resurrection of Christ, our resurrection and then he talks about the resurrection body, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Verse 36, how foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So Paul is saying, yep, for you skeptics in the church, yes, you're asking for me to draw a diagram of the, of the new bodies. You want me to show you um, a picture? He says, I can't exactly do that. But here's what I can do. Look at nature and look at Jesus 
and you'll have a better idea of what your new body in heaven will look like. So let's look at nature. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. I think even though we're not in an agrarian culture, like in Paul's day, most of us can picture a seed going into the ground, and it's, in a sense, it's dying. If you leave a seed on your table or a seed in a packet, not a whole lot's going to happen. It has to go into the ground first. And Paul is saying, before you're getting your new body, you have to go into the grave first. You have to die. In fact, we're all going to die. Everybody's going to die before the new body, except, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, those who are still alive when Jesus comes again. He says those that, that, those that have died in Christ will be raised. Those that are still alive on our planet when he returns, we caught up with them together uh, in the clouds, and they'll be with the Lord. But if we're not that generation, if the Lord doesn't come, we're going to die too. Just a reminder, today, happy Easter, you're all going to die. Um, you're all going back into the ground. First man, God says to him, because you've sinned, dust you are, to dust you will return. Interesting. Our human body, 17 chemical elements that are the same as dirt. You're going to dirt. You're decomposing you're going to be dust. Now, if you're buried, natural decomposition takes about 30 years. Uh, if you're cremated, it takes about 30 seconds, or 30 minutes, rather. But either way, you're returning to dust. Paul says, you have to die first. And all of those little babies down in the nursery, oh, look at how cute they are. Got their whole lives, Lord willing, ahead of them. That's wonderful. But they've already started the process of aging and decomposition. Paul says, you got to go into the ground first. He continues, verse 37, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives it its, gives it, its own body. He says, you don't plant the finished body in the ground. You plant the seed. We don't take, can you picture a red tomato? You don't take the red tomato and plant it in the ground. You don't take an orange carrot and plant it in the ground. You don't take a green cucumber and plant it in the ground. You put the seed in the ground and then it comes out something different. Similarly, your body goes into the ground. It's sown into the ground. You die, but it comes out something different. God's the one that's in charge of what it's going to look like. Then he goes on in verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is, of, is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. So your earthly body, what goes into the ground, and then you have your heavenly body, what comes out. Is Paul, kind of looks like he's almost like patronizing, kind of condescending. Um, can you tell the difference between a human body and the body of a bird, or the body of the fish, or the body of an animal? Can you tell the difference? That's precisely his point. We can tell the difference. We can tell that God has given everything, every person, the right kind of body. Stop and think about it for a moment. God has about 10,000 or so species of birds. Oh, 
you're going to get this little on your wing, you're going to have this color, you're going to have this. About 20,000 species of fish. Right? All of these bodies. Do you think God is going to struggle with reuniting you with your soul and spirit one day? Like, oh, what am I going to do with you? I don't know about your body. You know, what Paul's saying is, our God's got a little bit of experience. He's going to take care of it. Okay? Your resurrection body, he's got it. Look at nature. Goes in, it's sown, comes out different. Then he says, look at Jesus. You want to know what your new body in heaven is going to look like? Look at Jesus. Um, you're going to have, a, you know, these people, books and programs. Hey, you lift weights. This body by Jake. Is it whose body by something? This is a body by Jesus, okay? I kind of thought that's funny, but anyway, okay. <laughs> look what he says in verse 49. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Right now, we bear the image of Adam, the first man. One day, we will bear the image of the heavenly man, of Jesus. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, that one day Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to make them like his glorious body. And so we ask the question, what was Jesus' body like? Pre-resurrection and post-resurrection. And you'll find, we will find, that there's continuity. Some things are the same. There's discontinuity. Some things are different. Goes in one way, comes out another. Continuity and discontinuity. So I want to pause just for a moment and just look at the risen body of Jesus. We find this in the Gospels uh, when we see Jesus uh, risen from the dead. He he appears for, for 40 days and um, uh, this is what we read. So first is, when it comes to Jesus' body and your new body, it will be a physical body of flesh and bone. You're going to bear the image of Jesus. His body was flesh and bone. He wasn't a ghost when he rose from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, he appears to the disciples on that first Easter Sunday, and he says to them, look at my hands and feet, Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. I mean, those first disciples in a room in Jerusalem were not expecting a resurrection. They were not naive. They were not gullible. Jesus was dead. The movement was over. He appears to them. They're like startled. This is like a ghost. And he says, touch me. And his body, we're told, was flesh and bones. Interesting, Jesus doesn't say flesh and blood. What is that? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 says that flesh and blood do not inherit the kingdom of God. We need, with these earthly bodies, blood to survive. Life is in the blood. But with our heavenly bodies, which are immortal, we won't need blood. Again, not just speculating, but I'm of one that will hold that we won't have blood in our new bodies and we won't need it. It will be flesh and bone. Second thing about our new bodies, they'll be recognizable to others. We're not going to look so totally different that we're like, uh, who are you? It, we, will, we will recognize loved ones. If you've lost a loved one in the Lord, you're going to recognize your loved one in the Lord. In John chapter 20, when Jesus appears, he shows them his hands and feet, and it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He appears another time on the shores of Galilee, 
And we read that none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus was recognizable. Now, post-resurrection, um, on the road to Emmaus, a couple of followers of Jesus were heading out of Jerusalem after the crucifixion. They're downcast. He comes alongside them and says, like, what's up? They said, haven't you heard? You're the only person on the planet that, that Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah, but they killed him. And um, they didn't recognize him. And they walked all the way. And they had a meal with Jesus. Why didn't they recognize him? Because we're told they were kept from recognizing him until the appropriate time. Then Jesus opened their eyes and they realized it was him all along. A couple other occasions when the disciples are startled, there's like, who is this? Okay, but he was recognizable. That's what we see, that we will be recognizable. A third thing about our new bodies is that we'll be able to travel. Um, what's that going to look like? Again, it's all speculation, but it seems that we won't be restricted by space and matter as much as we are today. In John 20, when Jesus uh, appears to disciples uh, on that first Easter Sunday, John tells us the doors were locked for fear of the Jews, for the religious leaders. The doors were locked, and then John tells us Jesus then came and stood among them. In John chapter 21, uh, John chapter um, 20, a week later, Thomas wasn't there the first time. Again, there's in that same room, and John tells us the doors were locked, and Jesus could, came and stood among them. He seemed to pass through locked doors and then to suddenly appear and disappear. So what that all looks like in our new bodies, not sure, but we will be less bound by physical limitations that we do have now. And then with our new bodies, we'll be able to eat. But it won't be for survival, because we'll be immortal. We don't need food and water. It looks like it'll be for pleasure. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus appears to those disciples, he asks them in the conversation, do you have anything to eat? And it says, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus didn't need to eat. We don't need to eat because our bodies will not die. Why did he eat? Probably just for pleasure. My wife's grandma uh, died uh, in her 90s, and before she died, she was, for the most part, confined to a sofa and a bed. And, and, uh, but before she died, she went through a season where every day she wanted a cheeseburger and a chocolate bar. <laughs> and so I remember going to Wendy's, you know, to get her the, the burger, and then she had her chocolate bar. And I remember thinking to myself, that's how I want to go, just like that. <laughs> cheeseburger and chocolate bar. Actually, in heaven, I'm looking forward to cheeseburgers, uh, Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches, and Krispy Kreme chocolate donuts. I will enjoy. Um, but it seems we'll be able to eat with these new bodies as well. How old will we be? Will we be? Um, no chapter and verse. Um, many beliefs, maybe probably around 30. We won't be babies. Why 30? In the Old Testament, in Judaism, 30 was like a universal age where you could do this and not do that. We also have an addition to that. Uh, John says, after seeing the risen Christ, and he says this, when he appears, Jesus appears, we uh, will be like him. So when we, he appears, we'll see him and we'll be like him. And Jesus was in his uh, 30s. Um, peak vital vitality is usually around, you know, 20s into the 30s. You don't have many 90-year-olds playing major league sports. Um, 
right, because we're all declining. So the guess is 30, but again, there's no chapter and verse. But what we need to understand, as Paul says, look to nature and then look to Jesus, is that we won't be um, non-physical in heaven. We sometimes have this image that we're like ghosts or spirits floating around. No, we will have new bodies. Go into the ground one way, come out another way, something like Jesus' body. And then Paul then shares this about the difference in the bodies. He says in verse 42, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Our bodies right now are perishable. We're all aging. We're all going to decompose. We all have a limited shelf life. Death is inevitable for all of us. But with a new body, it's imperishable. It will go on forever and ever, not subject to death. Our bodies right now are dishonorable in the sense that they're subject to sin. Uh, with our bodies, we can hurt people with our hands. We can go places with our feet we shouldn't go to. We can say words to people that we shouldn't say. We can look at things we shouldn't look at. We can have people do things to us that are sinful. Right now, our bodies are dishonorable. But one day, they will shine. They will be glorious bodies, shining like Jesus. Our bodies right now are weak. We get injured right? As we get older, more and more. How many, is there anybody else? Old age, it's like becoming a full-time job looking after your body, is it not? Right? There's like cuts and bruises and aches and pains and marks from surgeries. We got allergies, we get colds, we're weak, but we'll be raised in power. These bodies that we're going to get are not subject to the same limitations and vulnerabilities of our present body. And right now our bodies are natural in the sense that they belong to the realm of nature from dust you, dust you are, dust you will return. But they're going to be raised a spiritual body. Still be physical, but spiritual in the sense that you will be glorifying God. You'll have the spiritual oneness with Him for all eternity with this body. So today, hear the greatest news you could ever hear. That Jesus rose on the third day, but He died for you and rose for you and wants to come again for you. So I want to ask you today, do you understand there's a larger story, a bigger story going on? Do you believe it's true? But hear this, it's a better story. Jesus today, if you've never given your life to him, if you've never put your faith in him, he's saying, if you put your faith in me, I will forgive you all your sins. If you put your faith in me, I will walk through life with you. And your whole purpose of life is living for me. And if you put your faith in me, death is not the end. One day you will be raised and get a new body and live with me forever and ever. Paul says, this is not make-believe. This is historical fact. It's real. Jesus invites you but again, he will not force you. In Jesus' day, there were many who said, no, don't need you, Jesus. Don't believe you, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, if you refuse to come to me, you're refusing to come and get life. Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. So each of us has a decision to make. I don't need Jesus, or I desperately need Jesus. And again today, 
that you would put your faith in him. In a few moments, we're going to have some baptisms, and these people getting baptized are saying to you and to me, my faith is in Jesus. And just like I'm coming up under the water today, one day I'm coming up with a new body like Jesus. I invite you to stand with me as we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you on this Easter Sunday for the death and resurrection of your son Jesus. We thank you that there is eternal life in his name. Lord, we thank you that we can look forward to new bodies and look forward to life forever. And Lord, right now I pray if there's anyone here or anyone watching online that has yet to put their faith in you, Father, I'm asking through your spirit that you would open their eyes to see your son Jesus, to see his greatness and his goodness, to see that he's their only hope. Right now, I want to pause. Is there someone that would say, yes, today I want to put my faith in Jesus. God's been working in my life. Today you can do that. I'm just going to say a simple prayer. God knows your heart. But if you're ready, would you say this? Would you say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. And Jesus, right now, as best as I know how, I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Save me from my sins. And then you can just thank him. Jesus, thank you that by faith I have a relationship with you. Lord Jesus, work in my life, I pray. Father, we thank you that you are still at work in the lives of people around the world. We thank you for these getting baptized, and we pray your special favor upon them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.